seven statements of the cross, um, gold from Golgotha. And uh, we're starting in now in week two, having last week talked about the very first statement Jesus says that's a prayer. And then today we're going to talk about actually a statement that is an answer to a prayer. Uh, before we jump in, uh, a few years ago, 10 years ago, uh, we were in September of 2008. We were in the hallways of uh, what was Memorial Hospital, now St. Luke's. And uh, I had my daughter, I had a one knee down, and I said, okay, we're going to go into the hospital, we're going to go into the little room here. Mommy just had baby Graham, and, and I want you to tell her, I want you to tell her um, how skinny she looks, okay? And, and, and Sage says, okay, okay. And, and so we, we walked into the room, and, and Graham was in the, the, the warming tray or whatever it is, and... and and, uh, and Janet was laying there, and you know, you have a baby, you don't go like back to, you know, spring break bikini look yet. Maybe some of you, Janet did, Janet did. Um, but you know, you, you know, you still, you just are now unpregnant. So um, Sage, with her five-year-old mind, she's going to come and say to mommy what daddy told her to say. And she looks at mommy and, and looks at her tummy and says, mommy, you look so skinny, <laughs> you know, uh, right words, wrong uh, intonation, if you will. Um, a few days later, Janet said, you know, me make me so happy. You know, I, I, I can't get around, you know, with the cesarean and everything, but you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go get my eyelashes done. I want to get my eyelashes done. I said, okay, here, here's 40 bucks. You need 40 bucks. She goes, <laughs> you know, it's, it is an investment, everybody. Eyelashes are an investment. And so I wanted to tell Janet, you, you know, of course I want you to get those eyelashes done, girl, whatever you, makes you feel good. And so she went and got her eyelashes done. When she came back, you guys remember um, uh, Donald, Dunk, Donald Duck and Daffy Duck and Daisy Duck? Okay, so like Daisy had like the eyelashes and she would look at Donald or whoever and go, <laughs> and do the little fluttering thing. So I walk in after I know she had her, her, her eyelashes done and I, and I go to her and I say, hey, flutter, flutter, like, like flutter. And she turns to me and says, flubber, flubber. And I went, <laughs> flutter. Flutter, like like eyelashes, flutter. She, Don't you be telling a woman who just had a baby, she flubber. All right, what am I trying to say? I don't know, I'm just getting stuff off my chest this morning, but. No, here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, nothing's more precious than the right words at the right time. Uh, especially when it's from the right people and said in the right way, especially when you need it. There's just something about certain words coming from a certain person that you wish they would say those words. I forgive you, please forgive me, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm so proud of you. There's just power in the right words at the right time. The Proverbs, the author tells us in chapter 25, the right word at the right time is like golden apples and silver jewelry. There's precious, it's like a Fabergé egg. It's just precious, those words. And when we understand that and we see the agony that Jesus went to before he even was hanging on the cross, the six trials, the, the beating of his body, the, the crown of thorns, the mockery and abuse and the ripped out beard. And we get to that place where now he's on the cross and with the ribboned flesh of his back exposed by the whip, has to lean up on that cross just to, get his, just to get enough oxygen to say words, seven statements, seven powerful windows into the heart of the Savior. We're in statement number two today. Precious, precious words that came at an immeasurable cost. We see in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, uh, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all uh, uh, drone shots or, or uh, camera B or, or, or di different camera angles into this full-bodied life of Christ, this full-bodied bouquet of who Jesus uh, was and is. And we see from the camera angle of Luke today um, what goes on at the cross in the second statement of Christ there, gold from Golgotha. Luke chapter 23, and the people stood looking on and the rulers with them sneered 
saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. Now, the Christ is Greek for the anointed one. When you say Jesus the Christ, Christ isn't his last name. Some people, oh, I thought like Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ. No, (laughs) Christ just means the anointed one in Greek. Um, When we say Jesus the Messiah, we're saying the exact same thing. Jesus the Messiah is Jesus the anointed one because the word Messiah is Hebrew for the anointed one. So if if he really is the anointed one, the chosen son of God, right? Let him save himself. Soldiers also mocked him. It was, it was Dolby surround of mockery. Coming and offering him sour wine and saying, okay, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now they're saying if you are the king of the Jews because an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Because Golgotha was a major thoroughfare, it would as be as if Jesus would be crucified between the Walmart and Starbucks. Major thoroughfare of traffic and activity. And they wanted to make sure that it was in enough languages that everybody walking by that could read, could read. And what they wanted it to say was, he said he was the king of the Jews. But Pilate said, no, what's written is written. Because Pilate actually believed him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals. So so we got a crowd, we've got religious leaders, we've got soldiers. Even one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Isn't it crazy? Don't you know people, like, I mean, maybe you don't, maybe you don't know people. I know people that, like, they're hurt, so they hurt other people. They got issues, but they love to point out your issues. Homeboy is on a cross, too. And he's taking his time to join in the crowd like he's got a sequoia tree hanging from his own eyeball. And he's pointing out this speck just going along. He was mocking just along with everybody else. The other criminal rebuked that first criminal. And the other criminal said, don't you even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? Like, dude, look in the mirror. And we, and we indeed justly, like, this is not an accident. We are here on purpose. We ought to be here. We deserve to be here for we receive the due reward of our deeds. And the criminal goes on. There is this epiphany that takes place on the cross in a matter of few hours on this common criminal. And he says, this man has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the second statement of the cross, the gold from Golgotha, Jesus says to him, would you say it out loud with me, all locations? Let's go. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, the next few moments we have, may we see the picture that speaks so deeply, not just on that day, that dark day, on a hill called the skull. But may it be on the hilltops and the valleys that we're walking today. In the good and the bad, may we respond to your words with faith and hope and love for you and for others. In Jesus' name, amen. So this picture is three crosses at Cranion. We talked about Hebrew and Greek and Latin already. Cranion is Greek for the skull. Golgotha is Hebrew for the skull. Calvary is Latin for the skull. So I liked when I I met a pastor at Calvary Baptist the other day. I said, hey, skull church. Woo! Anyway. No, nobody, nobody. (laughs) Pastor humor. Anyway. He said, what are you talking about? On this picture, it's a common picture. You see it in movies. You see it on posters. You see it on Facebook. And uh, it is the picture of, of three crosses. And on this picture, in this picture, you may want to write this down in your worship guide. We have a dying sinner on one side. There in the center, we have a dying Savior. And on his other side, we have a dying saint. Jesus flanked by two common criminals. And when we just see this picture, 
It is a picture, but there is a picture within a picture within a picture here. There's deeper pictures at work here, like a dream within a, it's like inception back in the day, the dream within a dream within a dream. And so I want to share with you some of these pictures we see as we look at these crosses at the place of the skull. Um, the first picture would, would be this. It's a picture of substitution. See, Jesus, who had not done anything wrong, died an excruciating death on someone else's cross. Those two criminals that had an empty place in the middle, that was reserved for their ringleader. Their ringleader was a man by the name of Barabbas. And Barabbas was in prison for notorious crimes, all of the gospels say. He was the ringleader. He was, a, he was Roman opposition. He murdered and he was out to overthrow the kingdom of Rome. And he was uh, incarcerated, uh, imprisoned and sentenced to death. And he was waiting for that sentence to be carried out. Now, Pilate, who washed his hands of the whole situation, he, he had an idea that actually uh, it, it backfired on him. See, Pilate wanted to use a little reverse psychology with the crowd that was hungry for blood. They were thirsty for blood. They were saying, we want Jesus crucified. And he didn't find any fault in the guy. He's washing his hands and he comes with this last ditch effort, this reverse psychology moment where he takes a special holiday of that whole Passover celebration. It's called the, the Passover pardon. And once a year, there could be a criminal that would be pardoned in signification, in a symbolism that the same way people were pardoned by God, that this criminal is pardoned. And so the, way, the same way that we use reverse psychology on, on little terrorists in our lives, aka kids, we, 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 we use reverse psychology. We say, uh, hey, you know what? It's time for your bath. I don't want to take my bath. I'm going to take my bath. Okay, it's okay. You can just go straight to bed. But you said I could play a little bit longer after bath. I know, but if you don't want to take your bath, you go straight to bed. So, hey, good night. Let's go. We'll, we'll, we'll take okay, I'll take my bath. Reverse psychology. You're sitting at the table. Hey, <laughs> I bet you I can eat my green beans faster than you can. No, I don't want to eat my green. Yeah, you can't eat them faster than me. Yes, I can. You can. No, yes, I can. Prove it. On your mark, get set, go. And you're just watching like, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> Done. I'm like, I'm so proud of you, son. Now go take a bath. <laughs> See, Pilate, Pilate's got, see, Pilate has Jesus and Barabbas, and he puts them there on the stage of human history in front of a crowd that's thirsty for blood, and he says, okay, Jesus, his crimes, uh, basically, he says he's a son of God. He did raise the dead, and you saw it. He did make the blind see, and you know it. He did feed 5,000 with a to-go box from Red Lobster. You ate it. You know what he's done. You've seen what he's done. He, he has had kindness and compassion and, and, and goodness in so many words. Jesus. And now we have Barabbas, though. And you can only choose one to set free. Which one do you want to set free? And Pilate's thinking there's no way they're going to let this criminal go. But it wasn't up to the crowd. It wasn't up to Pilate. It wasn't up to Barabbas that day. Understand everybody. God was not out of control when everything seemed out of control. Not only that day, but in the days where you think things are out of control. God is never in a position on the edge of the boat trying to reel your life back in because it's getting away. God ordained all of this to take place because he was showing us step by step by step before the foundations of the earth were formed, the lamb would be slain and he is gonna stack upon stack upon stack upon stack of, of moments that you just, after you see it all together in the big picture, you cannot deny he is who he says he is. He is. Here's what's, here's what's even, even deeper when you understand the scripture. You, you see this, this man named Barabbas. And when, when you understand even the name Barabbas. See, we see him as a criminal. We see him as a murderer. We, we see him as the ringleader, the prisoner. But his name actually, when translated, Bar Abba 
Abba, the word Abba means father. And Barabbas, Barabbas is son of the father. So, so understand something. The way God views you, Jesus is your substitute, but he doesn't just see you as a criminal, just as a sinner, just as the ringleader, just as someone who's made some major mistakes. Jesus did not die on the cross so you and I could be slaves to God. He connects us through the cross so you and I are sons and daughters of the Father. That's the beauty of substitution. It's the beauty of this picture within a picture. Barabbas is just a son of the Father, and on your best day, we are invited to be sons and daughters of God, of the Father. Number two, another picture within a picture, picture of humility. I mean, this is a humbling deal, flanked by two criminals. And you know, we, we've, we've softened it a touch. They, they would have been suspended naked in front of everybody completely exposed. Judaism had had a certain level of modesty. Rome had this, let it go, let it fly, this this certain kind of um, uh, immoral freedom. And they would have been stripped naked and laid bare in front of everybody on the crosses. Humbling experience. Paul says it in Philippians, uh, having become man, he leaves heaven for earth, Jesus humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience. Even to the extent of dying and the death he died was the death of a common criminal. And he doesn't, he doesn't just, I mean, he's, he's just utterly obedient. Can I invite you, those of you that have said, I want to follow Jesus. Um, he gives us grace upon grace. But it's also, it's, it's an invitation to when you don't have the strength to utterly obey, he brings the strength for obedience. And so when it seems hard for you, he gives us strength that we don't have so that we can obey in a way that we normally wouldn't because that's the way Jesus lived. He lived a humble life. And humility ought to be the earmark. It ought to be a hallmark of Christ's followers. We got enough pride in the world, everyone. In fact, the Bible says there's a few things that God hates. And the very first one is haughty eyes. He also says like people who, who shed innocent blood, but haughty eyes, pride, prideful eyes. I've got this. Pride says, I'm God. I'm God. I don't need God. I, I'm my own God. And he humbled himself and he just, had they, had they not put the inscription at the top of the cross, anybody walking by just would have assumed he was one of the posse of thieves. Don't you find it interesting that at birth, he's surrounded by animals I mean, and I, I, Mary did not have a floating gold halo around her belly when they pulled up in front of the courtyard Marriott. Had, had, had they come to reception and, and there was a glow about her and a little halo bouncing across her nine-month pregnant belly, there would have been room in the end, like right this way to the presidential suite, if courtyard has one. I don't know, probably not. Come on in. But no, there was no room in the inn. They're they're, they're relegated to a cave around animals, smelly, dirty animals. And and he's the son of God. I mean, he he didn't just like, he wasn't softly delivered by Gabriel with trumpets blaring in a golden diaper onto the doorstep of, you know, Pilate. Knock, 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 knock. (laughs) He's here. It was anonymous. For 30 years of his life, anonymous. But he was growing, becoming humbling, but yet growing in favor with God and with man. At death, he's surrounded by animals at birth. At death, he's surrounded by criminals. And even in this moment of humility, that could feel humiliating, we see another picture within a picture within a picture. We see the picture of prophecy fulfilled. You guys with me so far? We see prophecy fulfilled. See, C.S. Lewis uh, made it famous, uh, the, the statement, he, he's either, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. 
He's either a liar that he just made all this up and he is not to be trusted and he's just, he's just out there just to get famous and, and it was a cult, okay? Either he's a liar and, and so if he's, don't, don't follow a liar. He, maybe he's a lunatic. Maybe, maybe Mary, maybe Mary kind of just, just spoke all this into Jesus and he grew up with this false sense of identity and, and he just kind of walking around with a, with a God complex, Maybe he's a lunatic or maybe he's Lord. And the only way we know that he is Lord is if he actually fulfills what the Lord should fulfill. He's only the Messiah. He's only the Christ. He's only truly the son of God. If he identifies with what thousands of years of scripture said the Messiah would look like, where the Messiah would come from, when the Messiah would show up, how the Messiah would behave, what the Messiah would say, how the Messiah would die, all of that was written. And so it is a one in quadrillion squillion chance for anybody to just accidentally scratch the Messiah lotto ticket and win. Like he had to come from a certain lineage, from a certain town. You don't get to choose where you're born. You don't get to choose your family, except if, if you're Jesus. And he's born into the line of the tribe of Judah, in, 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 the son of David through Joseph. And even in this moment, this, these three crosses at Cranion, we see prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy would not have been fulfilled had there not been two criminals next to him. And God had it all mapped out. The thousand piece puzzle like my grandma Dorothy would work on for days in, in, next to the coffee table. And she'd find the corners and she'd slowly, Jeremy, why don't you stop watching that Transformers and come do this puzzle with me? Let me live my life, Grandma. <laughs> I wish I would have spent more time making puzzles. All these puzzle pieces are coming together. 400 years before Jesus is even on the scene and a couple hundred years before crucifixion is even invented. In Isaiah 53, the prophet says, he's poured out himself to death. He was numbered among the transgressors, the criminals. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. When he cries, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're do doing. He's interceding. He is among the criminals. He's among the transgressors. If he would have died according to Jewish law, he would not have been crucified. That was a Roman uh, uh, instrument. He would have been stoned to death and that would have been a single act by himself surrounded by people with rocks. So this doesn't even match Jewish culture. Yet the spirit of God speaks through Isaiah and says something that in this moment, in this picture, prophecy is fulfilled. Whoa. In a couple of weeks, we will read another statement of Jesus on the cross. And it's this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But, but, you, but understand, in, in, right now, understand that scripture, that statement of Jesus is not original in that moment. It's not the first time that that statement was ever made. And if you rewind in history a thousand years, you go from king of the Jews to the king of Israel with a harp and with someone transcribing what he sings and what he writes a thousand years earlier to another king, the king of Israel, King David. And in Psalm 22, the very first scripture, the very first line is this passage, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And in this psalm that was written a thousand years earlier, it also includes statements like this. They pierced my hands and my feet. Before there's ever a crucifixion that exists, David, through the spirit of God, he is, he is singing prophetically of the Messiah to come. In verse seven and eight of this same passage, all who see me mock me. Does that sound familiar? They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. In the same chapter, we see my mouth is dried up like a pot shard and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. This symbolizes when Jesus says, I'm, I thirst. And when he's into the grave, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It all happened. 
And it was written about a thousand years earlier within the context of a crucifixion that they had never even seen done before. Finally, verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. And we see this image of the spear thrust into the side of Jesus. And the Bible says, blood and water flows. There's no accidents here. There's no out of control moments here. This is not chaos. This is, this is divine plan of God. And he wanted to do all this so that it was way beyond a clever story. It was way beyond just a bunch of guys that hung out with a guy who told them to, I'll make you fishers of men. It, 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 he wants to say to you and to me today, listen, lean in and understand it. Jesus is who he says he is. You can believe it. He's not a liar. He's not crazy. Okay. You got a crazy aunt. He is not your crazy aunt. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is the anointed one. Another picture, number four. This is a picture of the power of friendship. Here's what's crazy. When, when these two thieves, when they're crucified, they're crucified before Jesus even gets there, and there's a cross designated between these two thieves, one should assume that these two criminals are just waiting for their ringleader, Barabbas. They're waiting patiently in agony, waiting for their ringleader to get his just desserts too. And they see the crowd forming at the bottom of the hill and they begin to move and they see the portobellum, the, the upward part of the T of the cross being carried by some, it was, it was an African who was carrying, Simon, Simon Cyrene, who was from Africa. He's carrying this, this cross and they see someone behind him who's struggling, who's already bloody and beaten and almost unrecognized. Is that Barabbas? Is that the son of the father? Well, yes, it was, but it wasn't who they thought. And Jesus gets closer and closer, and they're, who knows, where they say, where's, where's B-Money? Where is he? That jerk, he got off. He escaped that loser. Can't believe we, you know what? There's something significant about who you hang with. There's something powerful about who your ring leaders are. And these two common criminals who were accomplices to the key murderer are now suffering. And the own guy they followed is off scot-free. Proverbs chapter 1 says it like this. Dear friend, look, if bad companions tempt you, don't go along with them. Like, duh, yeah, of course, if bad, if bad people, if bad companions are saying, hey, do this, try this, smoke this, run this. Like, don't go along. It's common sense. It's what your mama said. And I, want, I especially want to talk to you single guys in here. And all you single ladies. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. I put your hands up. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Hey, listen, listen, listen. You, you, you do not, do not settle. Do not settle. You, you need to understand this. Something very, very important. Look, look, look. Having no relationship is way better than having the wrong relationship. It is better for you to be single and, and, and trusting God for Mr. Right, regardless of how blue his eyes are, waiting for Jesus to show you Mrs. Right. In the meantime, why don't you become the kind of person that you are looking for? Here's what's crazy. We want to look for the guy who's clean, who's right, who's honest, who treats me with respect. Then you be that person who's right and honest and treats other people with respect. Guys, if you're looking for that girl who's sweet and kind and loves you, then you be the guy who's sweet and kind and loves Jesus. Like, like don't be I want God to give me a steak and you're acting like, you know, a cheap burger. <laughs> Better to have no relationship. And listen, ladies, do not fall into the trap of dating someone because they say they are a Christian. Date someone because they look and act the way Jesus would have them look and act. If they say they're a Christian, but they don't act like one, something's up. 
It's like, hello. I'm going to move on. I love you. Now, as I've said to you already, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are different camera angles. And when we read in Luke, we read about this, this idea of um, one criminal saying, save yourself, and the other criminal saying, hey, hang on. And now we get a, a deeper picture of what's happening because Matthew shows us that both of them started with mocking. It's just that one of them had a heart change. Because in Matthew chapter 27, uh, Matthew records it that the robbers plural, who had been crucified with him, were also insulting him with the same words. The crowd was mocking Jesus. The soldiers were mocking Jesus. Another, the, both robbers started mocking Jesus. Nothing better to do. Let's, let's, mock, let's mock Jesus. But there was something that shifted within a few hours' time. We know that the whole process started of crucifixion at 9 a.m. and ended at 3 p.m. And in a couple weeks, I'm gonna talk to you about the significance of even the timing, that at the same time, Jesus is dying at 3 p.m. The priest is sacrificing the lamb for the nation in the temple. It's all part of the plan. It's a setup from the beginning. Something changes in the heart of one of these criminals could it be that he was mocked and instead of spitting back as he spat upon, he begins to hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. He looks up and maybe he could read one of those languages, the king of the Jews. Maybe he heard them say, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And he begins to think he, he did save others. He saved others, I wonder I wonder if he could save me. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response gives us another picture within the picture. And it's, it, it's the picture of heaven. And I, these aren't in your, in your notes, these next few thoughts, but, but I, I think you ought to write these down if you want to. First, here's a couple things we know about heaven, just from Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, let me say it this way, so don't, don't, do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm intrigued by stories about people who go to heaven and then come back. That they die and they see Jesus and your time's not up and they go back. I'm intrigued by that, but that's not gospel. Okay, that's not the same weight as the word of God. That's someone's experience, but, but that's, that's not the word of God, okay? Some, some of that, I don't know, it's a mystery. I, I want to believe it's true, and so I choose to believe. I have faith when someone tells a story. But I also, I also have a, a, a level of, eh, sometimes, yeah, really? So don't base your opinions of heaven on somebody that said they went there. Base your opinion on the son of the living God, Jesus. That's where, that's where we base our, our foundation. It's good to, to write those books and read those books and be encouraged in your faith. But don't put that in the same weight as scripture. Because you got enough weight with the scripture by itself. So we learn right here, heaven is certain. Heaven is certain, it's not an ideology, it's not a philosophy, it's not some kind of feel-good thing after you die. Heaven is a place, and it's certain, and here's what we get out of this second statement of Jesus. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, assuredly, that's a word we even use this morning that's not very common, assurance. Insurance is common, assurance, a, a, a blessed assurance, uh, assuredly, I say, it's like a confirmation, it's like getting a confirmation number, basically. You ever travel, man, somebody who travels and just says, let's go to the airport and just catch a flight. I don't know, let's see if they got a seat available. What? Like you gotta prepare those things, you know? I wanna go to the rental car place and know they have been wait they've got my car, at least they told me they have my car waiting. 
I want to get to the hotel and say, here's my confirmation number. And they say, oh, we know you have a confirmation number, but we're all full. Uh, not according to Priceline.com. <laughs> like, I love that confirmation number. This is a, a confer- confirmation that Jesus himself says to the common criminal, who at this moment has admitted he is, Jesus is. He says, Lord, remember me. He's confessed uh, by saying to the other criminal, we deserve this. We deserve punishment. And now he's requesting of God, would you remember me? Would you save me? And you know, not only does he say, assuredly, you'll be with me in paradise. Assuredly, I say to you. You know, you know you've said it before, maybe like, no, man, like when you say things like, I swear. And, and, and you know, you, you don't have to add that to it. You don't have to add it. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. But you know, you've heard people say, I, I swear on my mother's life. And you know, they really don't mean it when they say, I swear on my mother-in-law's life. You know, hey, that's, don't trust them. I, I, they say, I, 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 I swear on my grave. I swear on the Bible. And the big one is, I swear to God. And we need to be cautious not to, not to talk that way. It's just, it's not, first of all, that's not necessary. But, but, but second of all, I just want to show you that this is the way Jesus, Jesus swears on the highest name, the name above every name. I say to you. Assuredly, I say to you, the name above every name, the name uh, under heaven, uh, heaven and earth by which all must be saved. His name. Heaven is certain. You know what else? Heaven is near. Heaven is near. He says, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The longest it's going to take is about three hours for you to die and go to heaven, everybody. Because here's what happens. Jesus dies by three. The end of the day, understanding from a Jewish perspective, would be sundown about six o'clock. And so when he says, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you got to do this little trip with the ghost of Christmas past. It's just kind of a, this little thing. You got to work out. You got to swim through the valley of the shadow of remembering memories. And, you know, you got to right all the wrongs. And you got to do all this time where you pray all these prayers to get you. And other people need to pray these prayers to make sure that you get with me in paradise. It's complicated. We'll get you a checklist once you pass over and we'll get you there. But no, he says, hey, you're going to be with me in paradise today. When? When? Today. Heaven is near. Heaven is being with Jesus. Heaven is not about heaven, everybody. Paradise, the word paradise is used instead of heaven. We understand it as heaven, but paradise simply in the original manuscript, it it is a, a walled garden of delights. And I want to tell you something. God started with a garden of delights. And he's going to end with a garden of delights. And this whole story weaved between one garden and the next is the story not about people trying to get close to God, but a story of a God wanting to get close to people. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And here's the beauty of it. You'll be with me. It's not about the crystal sea. It's not about the golden wall. It's not about the golden streets. It's not about the pearly gates. It's not about the good food we're gonna have. It's not, a, it's not about all, it's not about seeing loved ones, although that's sweet and precious and biblical. It's all about Jesus. It's all about being with Jesus. Like, Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. That's what makes heaven heaven. If you don't have Jesus in heaven, you're not in heaven. In fact, heaven is actually, if there's no Jesus, that's hell. Hell is eternal separation from the presence of God. So heaven, it's not about the geography or or even the atmosphere of the place. It's about the person of Jesus. See, the, the thing about hell, we made it all about like the fire and brimstone and, and, and the, the, Jesus talks about hell himself. You have to understand when Jesus talks about it, you, 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 have to, you have to understand he's the son of God. And people get funky and people get funny and people get weird about the whole hell thing. I just want you to know that if you don't want to be around the presence of Jesus here, he's not going to force you to be around the presence of Jesus 
there. Like, it's your choice. And he's not gonna demand you at the table, but he has prepared a place for you at the table. The criminal says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Started as mocking him along with his compadre. And in just a few hours time, he shifts and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. My question for you today is, how did he know? How did he know? Could it be that he heard the crowd saying, if you are the son of God? And say, oh, maybe he is. I want to suggest to you. When you spend time close to Jesus, things change. And one of the best times for you to be close to Jesus is in the middle of suffering. People tend to want to walk away from Jesus in hard circumstances. The best time is any time, good or bad, any intersection. The intersection of the promotion or the intersection of the sensing, and now you are where you are right there sitting in die ball saying, I can't believe I allowed myself to get here. It's in that place, friend. Stay close to Jesus. The pro- being in proximity to Jesus has the power to change everything. It's why we ought to start our morning close to Jesus. It's why we start our week on Sunday Close, just just gathering together and celebrating close to Jesus. And the more he saw and the more he heard and the more he witnessed, this, this, this guy is not just a guy. He's the son of God. And this saving of this criminal gives us to our final picture. It's a picture of salvation by grace through faith. It's not salvation by anything that criminal could do. It's all by grace, unmerited favor, by faith. Just believing that when Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise, that that man could push himself up one more time and and die knowing Jesus was gonna be there. This story says to me, and I think it should say to all of us today, write these last thoughts down. There are no hopeless cases. No matter how dark, no matter how deep, no matter how crimson the stain, no matter the scarlet letter you've worn, his grace is sufficient. Nobody will ever lock eyes with anybody that doesn't deeply matter to God. There's no hopeless cases. This picture within a picture says to me, what Jesus didn't say here is very significant. You know, Jesus didn't sit there and say, oh, today you're being in paradise, but hey, uh, John, go get a a baptismal tank real quick. Get a hose. He's not going to come off here. Get a hose. Baptize him. Because you got to be baptized. uh, 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 Peter, go get some some juice and some crackers because if he doesn't have communion, Hey, make sure, repeat this after me. For God so loved the world. Right? I, I, was, I was telling the criminal. Um, criminal, repeat this after me. Sorry, but you guys are so right, right on. I love that. He says, he's not, he couldn't do anything. There's not a single thing he could do except surrender and confess and ask. It's it. It's all. Nothing else. And we have so created the gospel story to be about what we do and not about what he has done. And this story shows us that there is a big difference between becoming a Christian and growing as one. Becoming a Christian is instant. It's easy. In fact, it feels easier than it should. You know why? Because you did not do any of the heavy lifting. It was all heavy lifted on the cross. Now, growing is one. If you become a Christian and you begin to understand the love of the Father and that brings love towards the Father and and, and you, you grow in that love for Jesus, all of a sudden now, because of your love, you want to obey his commands. 
I, I, I don't stay faithful to my wife because I don't want to break our vows. It's my love for my wife that causes me to grow in my relationship with my wife. And what Jesus doesn't say here is very significant. You can become a Christian and you do not have to get your ducks in a row. But if you have more time, it's time to take next steps and start growing towards Jesus. But becoming and growing are two different things. You know what? It's why we celebrate. We celebrate people growing in Christ here, becoming disciples of Christ, going through starting point, going through grow track. But I want to tell you something. All that's extra. All that's extra growing closer to Christ. It all comes down to not whether you attended starting point or not. It's whether you bowed a knee and said, Jesus is Lord. That's all. That's what it takes to become a Christian, to surrender to him. We say a lot of prayers, repeat after me, those things, and those are healthy and good and fine. But it could be as simple as remember me. Lord, remember me. Remember me? The guy that doesn't have it all together. Remember me who's made a lot of mistakes. Remember me who's been trying to figure it out on my own and had a lot of my own philosophies. Remember me? Would you remember me? And he does. If you won't come clean, you can't be clean, everybody. It didn't happen by just proximity. You can come through the doors of a church and be given an opportunity to bow a knee for Christ every single week. And that proximity can sometimes trick you into thinking that everything's okay. But it's not about just being in proximity to Jesus. The criminal did not get saved that day because he was crucified next to him, because he attended the crucifixion. He was saved because he called on the Lord. And that's what it takes. Coming through the church doors doesn't, that, that's part of growing, but it's not becoming. You have to come clean. And you know what? He says, confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go to God for forgiveness of our sins. And then he says, in the book of James, confess your sins one to another, not for forgiveness, so that you may be healed. We need each other. We need confession. You know the same, if I, if I hurt an ankle, it puffs up. My body is basically saying, protect this thing. And, and, and you know, the, 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 there's, there's, there's energy and there's swelling and there's blood going to a place. It's, 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 there, there's something happening where one part of the body understands there's a hurt down here. And that body comes over here in your body and goes, whoa, let's take care of this. It's, your, it's just your body being the body. And that's what the church is. When somebody hurts, when somebody suffers, when somebody's tripped up, the body ought not be there saying, look at him. The body ought to be this, let's surround, let's surround. Let's carry one another's burdens. You won't come clean if you can't. If you don't come clean, you can't be clean. And that's about confessing and surrendering. Finally, it is dangerous to delay. It is dangerous to delay. Scripture says in John 12, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And that light is not some vague electrical force field floating out in the cosmos that somebody, you know, on some starship finds at some point. The light is a person. Jesus is the light of the world. It says, while you have the light, there is coming a time the same way in the days of Noah that the door to the ark closed. There is coming a time where the door closes. And what's done is done and the story comes to a close. And it's it. So while you have the light, like an old minister with wisdom wrinkles on his face and love in his eyes, preached to a little congregation and said, oh, you got to turn. Don't delay. You, you need to turn. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. You're not promised tomorrow. And after that service, a young guy came up to him. A young man said, I know you said, you know, don't delay. But what about the thief on the cross? Like he, he, he lived his whole life and had a chance at the very end and this minister with love in his, in his words and wisdom in his words, he says, which thief are you talking about? Because there were two criminals that day. Both had the same proximity to Jesus. One turned and one did not. 
And that same day, the lights turned off and one was carried to paradise with God. And the other was not given that assurance. Don't delay. Pictures. Can we end today the same way we were ending worship a few moments ago with thanking and asking? Let's thank him. Just Let's just pray for a moment. Father, thank you for the substitution of the cross. That the son of the father for the son of God. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the image of humility that speaks into our lives. No matter what our platform, no matter what our position, no matter uh, what our, our, our prominence, no matter what our post, may we humble ourselves and lift you up in the middle of it. Father, thank you that you're not just a good story, but you are the fulfillment through your son on the cross is the fulfillment of prophecy. That the Messiah would look a certain way, live a certain way, die a certain way, resurrect a certain way. And Jesus, you did it all. Thank you for proving you are who you say you are. Lord, we ask for friendships. Guide us, Lord, into the right friendships. Lord, remind us of how real heaven is. And finally, Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you simply need to say, Jesus, would you remember me? I need saved. Be my Lord. For the first time or the first time in a long time, it's not about what you could ever do. It's about what he has already done. But if you need to acknowledge that today, this is your moment. I called this sermon last call or opening day because for some it's a last call. For others, it's an opening day. It doesn't matter. It's the day of salvation if you want it to be. If you need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today, just put a hand right up in the air quickly, quickly. Just put it up in the air. I just want to pray with you. You're ready to become a Christ follower. You're ready to recommit your life. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. You can put your hands down. So in your own words, would you just say, Lord, remember me. I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I, that's what I need today. I surrender to you. Would you be my God? I want to I start a relationship with you. Will you help me? Thank you for not being mad at me, but for loving me so much. You would give me this moment to make things right with you. So I'm gonna breathe in and I'm gonna trust that you saved me today, that I don't have to figure out, I don't have to work on it. I, I don't, I'm, I'm gonna start now following you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray and everybody said amen. Would you put your hands together for those